Welcome back to this week's episode of The Emily Show. Today, we are covering two topics because a lot has been going on in the news about Britney Spears and whether her attorney, Rosengard, is settling all the issues going on with her dad, James Spears, and TriStar, and what's even going on there anyway. And then in our second topic today, we are looking at the defense's motion to have the judge remove herself, recuse herself, yeet herself from the trial in the Parkland shooter penalty phase trial. But before we get into it, we need to thank Green Chef. This fall, elevate your dinner experience with Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. Choose from 24 recipes to fit your lifestyle every week. Go to greenchef.com slash emilybaker135 and use code emilybaker135 for $135 off across five boxes and your first box ships free. Thank you, Green Chef. So today we are going to be breaking down two topics. And the reason I wanted to cover Britney is because I saw a lot about this TMZ article and people are like, Britney's doing what? And Rosengart's scrambling and what is even happening? A lot has happened and a lot of it's gotten pushed over till December. So we're going to talk about that. And then this motion from the defense in the Parkland shooter sentencing penalty phase of the trial with the judge. A lot of you have been watching this case unfold as it is streaming, or at least seen these clips of the judge getting into it with the defense attorney. The defense is asking the judge to recuse themselves off of this trial. Is that appropriate? What is their motion? And what is it that the judge did that they're taking issue with? I'm not going to get into the underlying evidence in the penalty phase. We're really just going to stick to what's going on between the judge and the lawyers. But if you want to catch up on that case, it has been streaming and you can find testimony and these incidents on the internet. When we talk just specifically about uh, certain parts of trial, there are some YouTube links that will be down in the description box for you below. So with that, those are the two topics we're covering today, and we should just get into it. Hey there, welcome to The Emily Show. I'm your host, Emily D. Baker, badass lawyer and everyone's favorite legal commentator, breaking down the legal shit in the news and pop culture stories you want to talk about. I've been a licensed attorney for over 15 years, I'm a former prosecutor, and I'm a big fan of the cursey words. So let's break it down. We are starting today with an update on what's going on in the Britney Spears conservatorship because TMZ put out an article on September 16th, 2022 that got the internet all in a tizzy. And we haven't circled back really well since after the last hearing at the end of August. There is another hearing coming up. I'm just going to give you a rundown of what's coming up. We're going to talk about TMZ and then we are going to move on to our second topic. I know. It's a rare two-topic episode today, but sometimes we just we just have two things we need to talk about, and that's what we're doing today because there's two things that are kind of going on uh, prominently in, A, one, stuff I cover, the Britney case, and in a case I have not covered when we're talking about the Parkland trial that I have not covered, but now that we've got a fight between a lawyer and a judge about whether someone's going to be recused or not going to be recused or going to recuse themselves after 20 plus days of trial that started in July. There's a lot of legal to talk about there, even if we're not getting into the facts of this sentencing trial. So with Britney Spears, there was that hearing on August 24th, and we had some dates that got put over most of them. The judge took a motion that's ongoing with TriStar, her former business manager, took it under submission, 
then came out and said, I want more declarations and asked for more briefing. More briefing has come in. This is all regarding more subpoenas and depositions. So is TriStar going to quash the subpoena, you know, squish, squash, and not have to turn over the things that Britney's team is asking for? They're saying we've turned over all the paperwork and Britney's team's like, we still don't have like, um, a management agreement that y'all signed with Brittany. And it might be because there isn't one. There might have never been an agreement between TriStar and the conservatorship for the kind of business management they were providing and what they were doing. And that could be a big problem. So they are looking, they, Brittany Spears' team, is looking for more information from TriStar. TriStar is trying to narrowly tailor that down through the court. The court asked for more information. Both parties have provided more information. To me, truthfully, going through it, it's more of the same. TriStar saying, we turned it all over. And Britney's side saying, but we still haven't seen this information. I think they're trying to get TriStar to answer that that additional information actually doesn't exist versus saying, no, we've turned everything, everything over and then not directly addressing some of these contractual issues and whether they exist. So that new briefing just came in on September 13th. I imagine that the court will issue a written ruling on this, but perhaps not. We haven't seen the court do it a lot, but the court did give a very lengthy tentative ruling to this back in July. So we will see. The next hearing that's set on calendar is October 26th with two fee petitions. The one where Lynn Spears is trying to get Britney Spears to pay her attorneys and one for Sam Ingham, the former counsel for Britney. Those are happening at the end of October. Everything else that's been pending and tracking is going over till December. That includes the order to show cause, like why the 13th accounting isn't done, the 12th accounting, and other fee motions from James Spears. So not a lot's going to happen in September. We might get a ruling about who is sitting for a deposition and what information needs to be turned over in uh, the end of September by the judge. It might just wait till everybody's back in court in October. That doesn't mean there's not continued drama because someone is trying to cause problems with this conservatorship still. I will just say briefly, I have learned so much about the media, not just in watching this conservatorship, watching the coverage in Depth v. Heard, and watching the media cover itself, watching the media cover online creators. I have had quite an education in the last two years doing not just the Emily Show podcast, but also YouTube, um, and just engaging more on Twitter because that's where a lot of this stuff tends to pop off. But it's very interesting to me what's going on in this particular piece by TMZ. There is nothing filed in court that this is based on. This is all based on sources telling TMZ. I think these sources are trying to maybe undermine how effective Matthew Rosengart has been and I find that very interesting. Let's take a look at what TMZ said and talk about the legal side of it real quick. The headline is, Britney Spears, settlement talks underway. Britney, Jamie, and TriStar open to ending financial dispute. They have more than just a financial dispute ongoing, but okay, cool. Because we still have the 12th accounting ongoing, and that has to be solved in the court. It can't just be settled. So, uh, that's where we start with me saying, I have questions. The article goes on to say lawyers for Britney Spears and Jamie Spears are in talks to end their contentious legal battle. Sources with direct knowledge on both sides tell TMZ. Do I believe that lawyers from both sides are continuing to talk? Absolutely. 
Do I think they're trying to end their contentious legal battles over who's getting deposed and whether there is an appeal which seems to be pending and all of the other things? Yes. Does that mean they are quote unquote settling? No. No, it doesn't. It goes on to say our sources tell TMZ Britney's attorney Matthew Rosengart has reached out to both Jamie's lawyer and lawyers for TriStar Sports and Entertainment Group to settle up. As you know, Rosengart has accused both Jamie and TriStar of misappropriating massive amounts of money from Britney, an allegation they have strongly denied. Our sources say a few months after the conservatorship ended last November, lawyers for Jamie and TriStar approached Rosengart to settle their differences, but Britney's lawyer was having none of it and going full steam ahead. We're told Rosengard has had a change of heart roughly a month ago and offered to end the legal fight for a price, around $7 million. Who leaked this number to TMZ? Who just pulled $7 million out of the air? Because what I'm seeing in court documents is that there is still an ongoing battle over these depositions. I wonder if they are again trying to undermine Rosengard, who has been very much favored in the media. And again, when I was in court in July, there was a conversation going on with James Spears' attorney. I put this up on my social medias in a reel that I did talking about the appeal where, oh, actually, it might have not been in that one that I, I might have clipped it. I'll have to put it up in connection with this episode. I'll put up what I'm talking about. But there's a conversation going on with members of the media and and James Spears' attorney, Weingarten. And then all of a sudden, Rosengart leaves court and goes walking past where we are out the, the back entrance of the courthouse and goes walking towards the plaza. And half of the group standing there all goes with Rosengart. And Weingarten's like, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. I was interrupted by all of this. And he was clearly not pleased um, that everyone went chasing after Rosengart, who definitely seems to be preferred by the media and also seems to have fostered a better relationship with members of the media. So it's interesting to see this article kind of couched in a way that is maybe trying to say, Rosengart just wants it all to go away for $7 million, which of course is going to put him at odds with the, you know, the free Britney internet of it all. There's really not much to settle. There's this 12th accounting, and maybe they're talking about trying to settle the 12th accounting, but that would not be settling everything. That would be settling one accounting. That is the largest thing that is pending. But there's also fee petitions pending. There's also um, there's also the 13th accounting order to show cause. So could Rosengart in some world say, drop the new fee petitions, let's resolve the 12th accounting, and we can we can do all of that for an amount, perhaps, but that all has to go through the court and there is a lot of legal to go. And we know that James Spears has recently been deposed. So I don't know where they got that figure from, but it's interesting. They go on to say in the article, but they say Rosengart didn't offer specifics, so there was an impasse. Um, there is no offer with a number without specifics. There's no like, oh, we can just figure it out for $7 million. It would be a, you're doing this, we're doing this. Or it would be a conversation of, if we're trying to resolve the 12th accounting, where are we all at? How much are you still looking for in legal fees? Where can we all come together on this? To not spend more legal fees. They go on to say, our sources on both sides are still open to settling and a source with direct knowledge tells TMZ as recently as this week, Rosengart contacted TriStar to forge ahead with a possible settlement. Give us all of the information that we need and we'll stop fighting it out in court over these motions to quash could be a settlement. 
So when they say settlement, it could be a lot of things. They go on to say, quote, this is not to say everyone's on the same page. Sources with direct knowledge of TriStar and Jamie tell TMZ, Rosengard is, quote, unquote, scrambling to settle the case. I doubt that. A source with direct knowledge in Britney's camp, however, tells TMZ Rosengard is not scrambling at all, and general settlement talks are simply standard operating procedure in any legal dispute. Yeah, Rosengard keeps saying at court, why are we still litigating this? Be a decent human and stop litigating all of this. He says it about Jamie Spears over and over and over again. Why aren't we done yet? Stop it. Literally stop it. And it has not stopped. Uh, the article closes out was the sticking point, obviously, is how much will Jamie and or TriStar be willing to pay and how much will Britney be willing to accept to put an end to this legal war? There's a bit more than that. It's a bit more than payment because, again, 12th accounting, legal fees, there's a lot that needs to be resolved in this. I wouldn't be surprised if they are trying to resolve the motions to quash and the ongoing discovery disputes, but that's not a settlement the way you would think of like, oh, and then this all goes away. There's still a pending 13th accounting. Nothing is going away anytime soon. I don't know why um, these articles are kind of getting dropped at Rosengart the way that they are. It's like Rosengart scrambling. But I find it very interesting that that's where this case is at, that even though not much is happening in court, clearly the behind the scenes is still very interesting to people. I don't see Rosengard as the type of attorney that scrambles for anything. Their case has been very, very active. And it's not inappropriate for Rosengard to try to save his client money by not litigating every single discovery uh, discovery dispute to the nth degree and saying, can we just resolve some of these disputes? Do I think we'll see a global number and everything ends? Not even close. I don't even think we're close to that. Could it happen down the road? Anything is possible. But I think what everyone needs to remember is Rosengart's first job is to protect the interest of Britney Spears, what she's looking for, what she wants, and how she wants to proceed. If Britney's marching orders are, I am done, make it all stop, then fine. But what I heard from Brittany when she spoke in court and what I've seen from her behavior on social is, well, she asked the court, why aren't they all in jail? I don't see Brittany um, indicating in any way that she's backing down. And that means Rosengart won't either. It doesn't mean he won't try to expeditiously solve the outstanding legal matters, which we know are a lot of matters regarding attorney's fees. I mean, when I look at the pending matters, it is a fee petition, attorney fees for Sam Ingham, for Lynn Spears' attorneys, and for James Spears' fleet of attorneys and the 12th accounting. It's all money. And that has to resolve, except for that one motion to quash. That's what's going on with Brittany. Um, it's hard to pair kind of these two topics together, but these are both deeply legal things that we're covering. So the legal ins and outs of what's going on with motions to quash and subpoenas and the legal ins and outs of what's going on in a sentencing trial where the judge and the defense are now very much at odds and where the rights of the defendant to have a fair trial um, might require some action from the judge. And we've seen a very thorough defense motion filed in the Parkland case, filed and then updated on September 17th. There is going to be a hearing on this while I am on a plane, unfortunately. I will give an update in this episode and tack it on at the end if we get a ruling from the court. The court could take it under submission, and I'll talk about why as we get into what's going on in the Parkland case. But first, we have to thank our sponsor. 
I know we're getting into the cooler months, but it doesn't mean it's time for a full personal sweater. You can still take care of the hair down there with all the amazing products at Manscaped. Manscaped also has what you need for nose hair, shaving your legs, but but it's not just that. Look, this is something I love. And as we're getting into winter boots, it's time to discuss the foot deodorant. Yes, the foot duster is for your feet. And if you are going to be in the warm shoes all winter long, give it a try. I have a teen. <laughs> my, we love the foot duster at my house. And, and if you want to keep everything groomed, Manscaped has released the Shears 2.0, a luxury nail grooming kit that includes stainless steel nail cutters, tweezers, and grooming scissors. So you can take care of all grooming needs at manscaped.com and get those footsies looking good. You can get 20% off at manscaped.com using code LAWNERD and you get free shipping. That's right, 20% off and free shipping with code LAWNERD at manscaped.com. Manscaped is going to keep it smooth all season long. And now we should get back into today's episode. As a brief road so far of what is happening in this trial. First of all, this is the trial of Nicholas Cruz. Um, on February 14th, 2018, he committed a horrific school shooting in Parkland, Florida that killed 17 and injured 17. He pled guilty and is at a sentencing trial, essentially a penalty phase trial. The penalty phase trial means a jury will decide whether this is a life without parole case or whether this is a death penalty case. The trial started on July 18th, 2022 and has been ongoing since then, um, just over 24 days, it seems, of trial. The defense gave two weeks of testimony, and then the defense rested their case, and that's when all of this broke loose. And while judges can be very salty with attorneys off the record, when we get in or on the record outside the presence of the jury, when we get into what a judge says in front of the jury, that's where some of these issues are coming up. So then we saw the defense file this motion to have the judge recused, which could mean that all of this starts over again. Um, and while I am going to talk a lot about legality and morality in this, because no matter what you think of a defendant's actions, they are absolutely entitled to a fair trial. And I want to see this penalty phase trial protected. I don't want to have to see the students who are survivors, the parents who lost children, having to come in and testify again in front of another jury, having to put into words the most horrific tragedy in front of a jury, in front of cameras, in front of national and international news media, takes a toll on people. To have to do it again because of actions of the judge would be just, just deeply, deeply disappointing um, for everyone involved. But it would be worse for it to go up on appeal, get appealed, and then come back and have it all done again. So doing things right especially when we are talking about the worst of the worst crimes that we see, it has to be done right. It has to be protected. The prosecution has to make sure that they do everything properly. The judge has to make sure they do everything properly. And 
in no small part, the defense. And part of the defense doing things properly are protecting their clients' rights first, nothing else. The job of the criminal defense attorney is to protect the rights of their client. And if that means calling the judge out to the carpet, then that's what it means. And it is hard when we look at individuals who have committed atrocities and to also still say, this has to be done right. But that is exactly what our legal system is based on. So as we talk about this, even though you might have particular feelings of this guy deserves this, I get it, but it deserves to be done right. And every person dragged before our criminal justice system deserves to rely on the fact that their trial or their sentencing and penalty phase will be held out with their constitutional rights being upheld. Because then when the result comes down from the jury, there's no question, there's no second guessing, and the will of the jury is the will of the jury. And with that, thank you for being law nerds because we are able to talk about difficult cases. I have watched some of the testimony in this case. I have not covered it deeply because I find it tremendously difficult to talk about, especially looking at the survivors and the parents' testimony. It's heartbreaking testimony, and there's not much I can add to that. It's a sentencing trial. We are seeing humans' experiences, their emotions, and how this impacted them. And with that, there's not a ton of law behind that. It is telling the jury how they were impacted, the harm that was done. And then the defense puts on their their evidence saying, yes, you know, Nicholas Cruz has pled, but he doesn't deserve the death penalty for these reasons. And that's really what they're fighting over. So this has been kind of the most wild, deeply legal part of the case um, that we're getting into. And we're going to look at the defense motion and some of the reporting. There's some reporting coming out of law and crime that gives a pretty good background. And then we will go over all of the motion from the defense and see where we're at. So this first article we're looking at is coming from Long Crime. The headline is, I will not receive a fair trial. Parkland school shooter asks, quote unquote, prejudiced judge to disqualify herself for lashing out at defense attorneys. Now, again, lashing out at defense attorneys might not be enough. Attorneys yell, <laughs> attorneys get yelled at. Um, I, I don't want to say all the time, but it's not uncommon. And we've seen that in other trials that have been televised. It happens outside the presence of the jury. And there are times that judges and attorneys get into it and things can get heated. What happens in front of the presence of the jury is a bigger consideration for me. Lawyers for Nicholas Cruz, the admitted Parkland, Florida school shooter, filed a motion Friday and then filed a corrected version of virtually the same document on Saturday to ask Judge Elizabeth Schur, I think it's Schur, um, to disqualify herself from presiding over a uh, proceeding that could result in the death penalty for Cruz. Again, we're in the penalty phase trial. The judge scolded Cruz's defense attorneys for resting their case on Wednesday without calling roughly half of the witnesses who were expected to testify on the defense's behalf. So the defense, and we'll get into this a little bit more as we get into the motion, the defense had given over their witness list. They had, oh, well, we'll get into it. And keep reading, Emily. Keep reading. Don't explain. But the defense gets to choose when to rest their case. Normally, when you are scheduling a case, you give a heads up to the judge on the other side that you will be resting to make sure that witnesses are on board so you don't waste jury time. It doesn't always happen, but often it will be, hey, we only have a few more witnesses. Have your witnesses on standby because depending on how many witnesses you're expecting, the prosecution might not have witnesses on standby for quite some time. And that's what we're going to see here. 
So getting back into Long Crimes article, Schur scolded Cruz's defense attorneys for resting their case on Wednesday without calling roughly half of the witnesses who were expected to testify on the defense behalf. That that tactical decision shut down the defense side of the case much earlier than expected. So we've got a scheduling issue here. The move stunned the judge, who then asked prosecutors if they had witnesses available to testify on Wednesday. The state replied it was expecting an additional 40 defense witnesses and therefore had no one ready to take the stand. Not a surprise, especially depending on where witnesses are coming from. If you have to get witnesses in and you've told them you don't need to be here until this date, a week or whatever out, it's very hard to tell people that they need to stop everything they're doing and show up earlier than that. And in fact, those witnesses might not even be subpoenaed until dates in the future, so you can't actually make them come, which means you now have a jury waiting around. And one thing I've seen judges get very prickly about, more prickly than just about anything else, is wasting juror time. And when you have a case that has now been going since July 18th, wasting juror time becomes a huge sticking point for the court. Because again, these are people who are taking time out of their lives to sit through a very difficult case day in and day out. So to waste their time is going to piss off just about any judge. The article goes on to say the defense had originally promulgated an 80-person witness list for the penalty phase of the trial surrounding the 2018 mass murder at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. Quote, we're not playing chess, the increasingly incensed judge said to the defense. Quote, I just want to say that this is the most uncalled for, unprofessional way to try a case, Sure continued again to the defense. You all knew about this. And even if you didn't make your decision until this morning to have 22 people plus the staff and every attorney march into court, be waiting as if it's some kind of game, now I have to send them home. I get the sense she's talking mostly about the jury there. The quote goes on, the state's not ready. They're not going to have a witness ready. We have another day wasted. I just, I honestly... I have never experienced a level of unprofessionalism in my career. It's unbelievable. The Cruz attorney, Melissa McNeil of the Broward County uh, Public Defender's Office, stood up on behalf of the defense. Quote, I have been practicing in this county for 22 years, McNeil said, but the judge cut her off. You know what? I don't want to hear it. The judge said, quote, well, judge, you're insulting me on the record in front of my client, and I believe you should be, I should be able to defend myself, McNeil responded. Quote, you can do that later, the judge said. You can mark your record or you can make your record later, but you have been insulting me the entire trial so blatantly, taking your headphones off, arguing with me, storming out, coming late intentionally if you don't like my rulings. So quite frankly, this has been long overdue. So please be seated. The judge is like, no, what, what we're not going to do is continue. We're done. The jury was brought into the room. The defense then formally rested in front of the panel, which is required, by the way. The defense has to rest in front of the jury. It has to be done in front of the jury. The jury has to be there for the defense to rest. Could it have been done a different day? Sure. But the defense has to rest in front of the jury. So let us continue. So the jury was then brought into the room. The defense formally rested in front of the panel. So all of the judges back and forth with the attorney happened not in front of the jury, which is appropriate. That in front of a jury would be a huge mess. That's not the case here. This is the tension building between the judge and the defense attorney. The judge then called the jury's attention to a timeline of events in a way that further wrinkled the defense. Quote, so we did not anticipate that the defense would be resting today. Therefore, the state is not prepared to go forward with the rebuttal case until the 27th. Yeah, there's the problem. The prosecution's not going to be ready for more than a week. And they're telling 
the jury essentially that it's the defense's fault, or at least that's how I read this. The judge said, if I had known earlier that that was going to happen, I would have, I would not have dragged you all in here. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, essentially, you got dragged down here because the defense didn't give us the heads up. And that's where I think the defense's problem is with what was said to the jury. It was a rocky end to the defense case. The defense written motion to disqualify Schur snipped back at the judge, quoting the preamble of the Sunshine State's Code of Judicial Conduct. We'll get into that motion in a minute. The motion noted that Cruz pled guilty to 17 counts of first-degree murder and 17 counts of attempted first-degree murder. The only legal question for the jury is what punishment should be, prison or the death penalty. And then they go on to quote the rest of the motion, and we're just going to go to the motion ourselves. It is a very interesting thing when you see a judge um, snap at attorneys like that after such a long trial. Before we get into this motion from the defense, we have to take a quick break for our sponsor. I know life can be busy. I've gotten very busy with travel and picking kids up, so I often find myself sitting in parking lots waiting for my kiddos. But it's a perfect time to plug in your backbone to your phone and play on the go. So what's holding you back from your ultimate gaming experience? I don't have time to wait until I can sit down at a console to play. And Backbone just released a PlayStation edition of their beloved Backbone 1. The officially licensed controller for PlayStation was brought to life in collaboration with the PlayStation design team. The elegant colors, materials, and finish are all inspired by the design of the PS5 DualSense controller, all the way down to the transparent face buttons and its visually distinctive floating appearance. Simply plug your iPhone into the Backbone and enjoy console-quality controls as you play console games via remote play, cloud streaming, or the App Store. You can play games like COD Mobile, Minecraft, or Apex Legends Mobile. For me, it's been a great way to let my youngest play games that he would want to play on the console that we haven't bought for the console. We have a great deal for the Emily Show listeners today. Go to playbackbone.com slash lawnerd now and order your backbone. For a limited time, get free access to over 350 console games and perks. Backbone is now the official partner of Diablo Immortal. Not only is the game specifically optimized for Backbone, but you also receive $10 of in-game perks. Find your next adventure at playbackbone.com slash lawnerd. Let's get back to today's show. So we are getting into the motion from the defense. Those of you on the YouTubes can see it. Those of you listening audio only, I try to do my best to let you know when I'm reading directly from the document and when I'm interjecting. This was filed September 17th at 11.18 a.m. This is the amended motion to disqualify to correct the date on the affidavit of defendant. There is an affidavit from the defendant attached. And we are going to go through this. I am not going to go through every single word, but because it's a 22-page document, but we're going to get into the back and forth of what the defense is saying happened um, ahead of this motion. And then hopefully we'll have a ruling by you know the time this airs and it will be tacked on at the end of this episode. It starts with, quote, our legal system is based on the principle that an independent, fair, and competent judiciary will interpret and apply the laws that govern us. The role of the judiciary is central to American concepts of justice and the rule of law. Intrinsic to all sections of this code are the precepts that judges, individually and collectively, must respect and honor the judicial office as a public trust and strive to enhance and maintain confidence in our legal system. The judge is an arbiter of facts and law 
for the resolution of disputes and a highly visible symbol of government under the rule of law. And that's the preamble to the Florida Code of Judicial Conduct, which is a solid move to come out just with the, remember, these are the rules. It goes on to say Nicholas Cruz, by and through undersigned counsel, files the motion to disqualify pursuant to Rule 2.330 of the Florida Rules of General Practice and requests this court to enter an order disqualifying itself from this case. So, Your Honor, yeet, yeet thyself from this case immediately, which is rare that you will see a judge do. Very rare that you will see a judge say, yes, I will. Now, early on in cases, you will see judges that have conflict of interest, and things like that, and they recuse themselves from a case. But once we are this far into a trial, this is would be very, very unusual for the judge to agree to remove themselves, to disqualify themselves from the case. Then they talk about where the case stands. One, Mr. Cruz pled guilty to 17 counts of first-degree murder, 17 counts of attempted first-degree murder. The state is seeking imposition of the death penalty. This court's comments made about lead counsel on September 14th, 2022, is the zenith of the cumulative disdain this court has publicly expressed. They're not mincing words, and they've definitely pulled out their thesaurus to get to the zenith of the cumulative disdain. Things are clearly not going well between this judge and this defense attorney, Um, but judges and defense attorneys can have disagreements about how the courtroom is running. The judge wins those disagreements, and it generally doesn't disqualify the judge. Point three, after calling several lay witnesses and two experts, lay witnesses, by the way, mean essentially civilian witnesses, non-expert witnesses. After calling several lay witnesses and two experts on September 12th and 13th, the defense called two expert witnesses to discuss Mr. Cruz's diagnosis of neurodevelopmental disorder from prenatal alcohol exposure. After the court recessed for the evening on September 13th, it instructed the parties to arrive by 9.15 a.m. the following day if they had any matters to bring to the court's attention prior to having the jury come in. That is pretty standard operating procedure when in trial. If you have pre- if you have motions, if you have uh, things to address with the court, you need to come before the jury comes in. The jury comes in at whatever time promptly. On September 14th, it goes on to say the parties arrived in the courtroom at 9.15 a.m. as instructed because the defense did indeed have matters to bring to the court's attention. The court took the bench at 10 a.m. Well, That's going to cause some problems if everybody was there 45 minutes before the court took the bench. I only have to wonder, and my question on this is, did someone give the court the heads up that the parties had motions? One would assume yes. While waiting for defendant Cruz to enter the courtroom, oh, it says, it says Mr. Cruz in here, if I interject them, that is my brain after working in criminal for years and years and years. Um, So if I interject between defendant Cruz and Mr. Cruz, it is my, literally my brain switching on me, but it is written as Mr. Cruz within this motion. So while waiting for Cruz to enter the courtroom, um, the defense was conferring with the state regarding evidence and the defense was seeking to enter by way of uh, certification of records, certification of records custodian. So the defense is seeking to bring in evidence by a certification, not bring on a witness. Hey, can we agree that these are certified records of something? Those could be medical, financial, whatever. In this context, probably medical. But these can be any kind of certified records. Look, they've been certified. They're real. Can we just admit the records? And then we don't need a witness. It saves everybody some time. Once Cruz and the court entered the courtroom, the defense began entering the records into evidence. In the midst of that process, the court began questioning defense counsel regarding its next witness and who would be conducting the direct examination. So housekeeping for the day, essentially. 
Lead defense counsel announced that the defense will be resting. The following exchange took place in open court. You can find the video of this all over the internet. We're just going to read the read what is put into the motion, but this is available all over the interwebs. The court. I just want to say this is the most uncalled for, unprofessional way to try a case. You all knew about this. And even if you didn't make your decision until this morning, you have 22 people plus all of the staff and every attorney march into court. Be waiting as if it's some kind of game. Now I have to send them home. The state's not ready. They're not going to have a witness ready. We have another day wasted. I just, I honestly, I have never experienced a level of unprofessionalism in my career. It's unbelievable. Defense attorney, so judge, you asked if we had any pretrial matters. You asked us to be here at 915. We were here at 915 to discuss pretrial matters. I've been practicing in this county for 22 years. The court, you know what? I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. And this is the hard thing for the defense. Like I have empathy for the defense attorney here saying, when did you want me to tell you this morning you just came out and took the bench? We were here when you said be here. I can understand that. I can understand why the defense is frustrated. Should the defense have given a heads up? Probably would have gone better. Do they have to? No, they don't have to. The court, you know what? I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Defense, well, judge, you're insulting me on the record in front of my client, and I believe I should be able to defend myself. The court, okay, you can do that later. You can make your record later, but you have been insulting me the entire trial so blatantly, taking your headphones off, arguing with me, storming out, coming. The storming out, I I have questions about the context of, by the way. Coming late intentionally, if you don't like my rulings, that is gamesmanship that never goes well with a judge. Um, Have I seen that happen in cases? Yep. Have I seen that happen in courthouses? Yes. Is this the kind of control wrangling that can happen? Yes. Should this be happening during a massive death penalty sentencing penalty phase trial? One would hope not. One would hope not. The court said, so quite frankly, this has been long overdue, so please be seated. You can receive the evidence. I will receive the evidence. And then you can put whatever you want on the record at the end. So that's where the court, or or that's where the defense ends this part. Could there be more? Yes. Um, Would that, this is all filmed. So would that be on the internet? Absolutely. After bringing in the jury to allow the defense to rest, the court discussed scheduling issues with the jury. The court stated, and this is again, what the defense is saying that the court said. The court stated, So we did not anticipate that the defense would be resting today. Therefore, the state did not prepare to go forward with the rebuttal case until the 27th. And then there's asterisks there, meaning something else happened that is cut out. And then it says, if I had known earlier that this was going to happen, I would have, I would not have dragged you all in here. Although advising the jury that it was the, it was at fault for any scheduling problems, the court clearly placed blame for the jury's inconvenience on the defense. So the court said, if I had known I would not have dragged you all in here. I imagine based on the way they're parsing this, the court said something else too. I don't know what that is. We're just going through the defense's motion, but there are asterisks here. The court might have said other things, taking responsibility for the scheduling, but you you have the jury on the 14th leaving for the day and not coming back until the 27th. And they do acknowledge that the court advised that the scheduling problems were the court. The defense is taking issue with the fact that they feel the court placed blame on the defense. I would love to know your thoughts. We did not anticipate the defense would be resting. Seems to indicate that the defense caused the problem. Is that enough to cause the judge to be recused? Let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. 
The defense goes on to argue that the court undermined the defense by insinuating to the jury that the defense did not provide the state and court with information it should have in advance. And as a result, they came to court unnecessarily and will now have to wait almost two weeks to return for the state's rebuttal case. I really want to know how much the court laid into the state about why they didn't have anyone until the 27th. Like, can't we bump, like, that seems like a long time. Can we bump that up? How, how are we getting all the way out to the 27th? The defense goes on to say, um, quote, that is patently false. The defense had absolutely no legal obligation to advise the state of the court in advance of its intention to rest its case. Whether they are required or not, there is a scheduling courtesy when we are considering the jury's time. If the state thought there were 40 more witnesses to go, I'm not surprised they didn't have a witness scheduled. 40 witnesses takes a lot of time. Trying to schedule stuff like this caused me so much anxiety because I could never anticipate how long, and that's partly the ADHD, I couldn't well anticipate how long each witnesses, each witness would take, how long my case would take. Ms. Baker, how long are you going to take? I don't know. So it caused me so much anxiety. They go on to say, moreover, the jury has to be present for the defense to rest. Finally, the court tied itself to the state when it indicated, quote, we did not anticipate and then say, quote, therefore the state is not prepared. I want to know what you think of that in the comments and in the the comments down below on YouTube and in the comments on this case when we have the conversation over in our members only spaces. Do you feel that the court that's the court aligning themselves or is this the court with the royal we like we all didn't anticipate this and so here we are. I can understand the defense arguing it this way though. I don't know if it necessarily al the court aligns itself with the state. The defense goes on to say, in essence, the court blamed the defense and gave the jury an excuse for the state's inability to move forward for nearly two weeks. They say that the court's statements criticizing and chastising defense counsel and blaming the defense for the jury's inconvenience have caused Mr. Cruz to reasonably fear that the court is prejudiced against his lawyers and him and that he will not receive a fair and impartial trial going forward. The court has now revealed that its animosity toward lead counsel is long held and has infected this entire trial. Without the benefit of knowing that the court has held this animosity, Mr. Cruz has accepted numerous adverse rulings as any defendant would in the normal course of a trial. However, now that the court has made clear that its feelings towards defense counsel are longstanding and pervasive, Mr. Cruz has a reasonable belief that the rulings of the court have been influenced by its adverse feelings, which do not go to the legal issues before the court. Mr. Cruz also has a reasonable belief that the court's ruling going forward will be influenced by the court's adverse and pervasive feelings towards defense counsel, and he will not receive a fair and impartial trial. In essence, what the court has been feeling throughout the trial and is now stated on the record has corrupted this trial and should compel the granting of both a mistrial and a recusal so an unbiased jurist can properly try this case without the prejudice Mr. Cruz suffers in this proceeding. The defense goes on to say, although the court's conduct on September 17th is in and of itself sufficient to warrant disqualification. The statements made directly to lead counsel that lead counsel, quote, has been insulting her the entire trial, have informed Mr. Cruz that defense counsel's understanding of previous actions and rulings of this court, demonstrating the court's animosity toward defense counsel throughout, demonstrating uh, the court's animosity towards the defense counsel. So the defendant feels that whatever happened earlier in the case is just showing how angry the judge is with defense counsel based on the judge saying, you've been insulting me the whole trial. I, I think either there's, I think there's no way this doesn't just go up on appeal. But I, on this, don't see the court recusing themselves. Um, I see the court maybe explaining and clarifying the record, 
I can see why the defense is bringing the motion, though. I'm I'm not going to say the defense shouldn't have brought the motion. The defense is doing their job in this. They say these statements have caused Mr. Cruz to fear he will not receive a fair trial um, or hearing because of the court's animosity towards his lawyers. There, I mean, the consequences for him in this case could not be more dire. So I understand, again, the motion. There have been several instances where the court has shown this animosity towards defense counsel that are now cast in a new light. And they are including some of those, even though those are those are not brought in a timely fashion. And they acknowledge under the law these were not these were not a timely motion for disqualification, but they brought them up. So we're going to go through what some of the defense says are now showing that the court had some type of bias or some type of prejudice against the defense attorney. September 2nd, 2022, prior to the commencement of the trial testimony, the state and defense agreed at the end of each day of trial to provide opposing counsel a list of the witnesses who would be called the following day. If that's the case, then, as of September 2nd, why on September 13th wouldn't the prosecution have been told that the defense was resting? So, this might be a date issue, though, because it then says, this agreement was honored by both parties until September 1st, 2022. Um, Oh, prior to the commencement of the trial. So that would have been in July. Okay. I was confused about the way they had written this. So back in July, the state and defense had agreed that they would provide a list that was honored up until September 1st when the defense terminated this agreement, believing it would be ineffective representation to provide the state with the names of witnesses it intended to call in advance based on prosecutorial misconduct and tampering with a witness. What witness? Oh, there's more. On September 2nd, when the defense attempted to call a Zoom witness, a platform used throughout the trial, the state objected. During a sidebar conference, the state indicated that the defense had refused to honor its agreement to disclose witnesses the day before. And as a result, the state would only agree to allow the defense to use Zoom if the court ordered that the state would be permitted to use Zoom during its rebuttal. The court then stated, quote, I need you to say exactly what you're agreeing to in no uncertain terms and make sure your client is in agreement because I, quite frankly, understand the state's concern at this point. End quote. And then it says, dismissing the defense reason for revoking the witness disclosure agreement. So the state is saying that they had an issue with the prosecution, knowing that's why they stopped giving the prosecution a heads up. And then they make it sound as if then the prosecution was being petty and say, fine, if you're not going to give us a heads up, you can't, we're not going to agree to Zoom because why would we agree to Zoom? Oh, I can see why the judge is annoyed with the gamesmanship. I can. But again, these are the attorneys doing their job, but being petty over Zoom, I need more information. Like, I just need more information. Truly. After a brief recess, the state advised it would only agree to allow the defense to call a witness by Zoom if the defense agreed to disclose witnesses to the state the night before. After defense counsel indicated it would only agree to advise the state of Zoom witnesses ahead of time, the court again refused to allow the defense to state its reasoning. Quote, I don't want to hear any reason about what. Is it yes or no? If you're not agreeing to it, then they're not agreeing to Zoom. All your witnesses will have to be here in person. Make absolutely sure that that's what you want to do. So the defense feels like they didn't get to make a record. And then goes on to say the defense argued case law allows the court its discretion to allow witnesses to testify by Zoom. The court again indicated, well, I just said to you, here's the deal. It's either all or nothing. The court, it sounds to me, didn't want gamesmanship going on over how the witnesses were being called. They are going back to September 1st. Let's see what incident happened then. After the lunch recess, the court made broad statements chastising counsel, but looked directly at the defense table 
during its comments and pointed its finger towards the defense table. The court stated the following. Oh, boy. And here we get into what the court had to say. Yikes. Quote, just hold on a second, because before we start anything, I have some things that I need to say, and I want everyone to be present, and I want everybody to be listening, everybody to stop talking and stop what they're doing, okay? This whole situation here has become unprofessional, to say the least. Oh, yeah, you can see these clips online, too, if you want to go see this moment. You can. Back to this motion. There should be, when I say, when I say, quote, court is back in session, end quote, every lawyer should be in their seats and paying attention. The fact that I have to ask multiple times whether one particular side is ready and no one is hearing me because y'all, it says you all, sorry, you all are talking to each other is rude. I don't disagree. It's rude and it's unacceptable. There needs to be, everybody needs to be in their seat. Everybody needs to be quiet. You all have computers. You can be instant messaging to one another or passing notes and occasionally talking or talking to your client, but there's constant talking and there's constant movement. There's printing. There's getting up and down. It's got to stop. This is a courtroom. It needs to be run like a courtroom. It's become somewhat of a playground, okay? I don't want anyone talking back and forth to one another. It's inappropriate. You all know better than that. Don't do it. Do not shout out, okay? If there are technical difficulties, everyone needs to be quiet because what's happening is someone's trying to help over there and someone's trying to help over here. This one gets up. This one gets up. And then all of a sudden, it's a free-for-all. This is a courtroom. It should be run in a professional, respectable manner. There should be no shouting out. This needs to be as quiet as a library. There's no printing. Again, when I'm talking, everyone else needs to be quiet and be seated. When there's an objection made, everyone needs to stop talking. I don't want any rude, any further rude or disrespectful behavior. It's gotten quite out of control. Please do not move about this courtroom without asking permission. Now, I hate... I have never been one of those judges that requires, quote, judge permission to do this, permission to do that, end quote. But I don't think I have another choice in this matter. Please do not get up from your seat unless you have an emergency or you ask permission. I have been in front of courts that have absolutely said, if you need to get up in a trial, you need to ask. Your Honor, may I have permission to approach the jury? May I have permission to promote the, approach the bench? May I have permission to whatever? This judge is asking at this part, for common decency in the courtroom and for respect and for people to be quiet. I'm not mad at this. I don't, I understand that the defense is mad at this, but I'm not mad at this because it sounds like the judge is talking to all the attorneys and saying, y'all need to do better. These are big legal teams. There are quite a lot of attorneys on all of the tables. So I'm not surprised that the judge is like, this has to stop. Somebody has to maintain order in the courtroom. Oh, there's a YouTube link. Notwithstanding the fact that the court indicated it wanted everyone to hear its remarks and everyone to follow them, the video recording of these proceedings shows the court pointing these remarks specifically at the defense as evidenced by continual pointing at the defense and referencing to your client. I will go ahead and put the YouTube link in the description in the show notes so y'all can go look for yourselves and see what you think. On September 1st, 2022, after the parties returned from lunch recess, the defense advised the court that it was in possession of an affidavit signed by defense witness John Vesey. The affidavit indicated that he received a call from attorney Christopher Whitlock, who represents several individuals employed by the Boward County School District, but not Mr. Vesey and Jeff Marcus. Mr. Vesey's affidavit further stated, quote, 
I was very nervous and uncomfortable during and after this phone call. I had the impression that they did not want me to testify. End quote. The defense requested a 24-hour recess to prepare a motion to preclude the state from seeking the death penalty based on prosecutorial misconduct. So it seems to me that that might tie back to why the defense did not want to give the prosecutors the heads up if this phone call came into one of their witnesses before they testified. That might tie back to what they said in the first kind of paragraph of instances that have that have been a problem for the defense. Note that these are all things that they are going to bring up in appeal. That's that's going to happen. The defense requested the 24-hour recess. The request was denied. However, the court indicated that upon completion of the current, current witness's testimony, the defense could have a 15 have 15 minutes to write its motion. The jury left the courtroom at 1239. The parties went off the record and were excused from the courtroom at 1242. The court told the parties they would need to be back at 255. The defense counsel asked for 30 minutes because it takes 12 minutes to get to counsel's office from the courtroom. The court denied the request. At 2.55 p.m., only 13 minutes after the parties were dismissed, the court brought back the jury into the courtroom without lead counsel present and over the defense counsel's objection to proceeding without the only first chair death penalty qualified lawyer on the team, which is a big deal. Look, when you're dealing with um, public defender's office, district attorney's office, and other public offices, there are attorneys who are death penalty qualified and attorneys who are not death penalty qualified. There is a large legal team here, but lead counsel, they are saying, is the only one death penalty qualified. So going forward without that attorney present is a problem. And I'm wondering if this is the incident where the judge is like, you're coming back late because you don't like my rulings. Is this the underpinning incident where the judge is like, you're coming back late because you don't like my rulings? And the defense attorney is like, you gave me literally no time to file a motion. You told me I could have like five minutes and it takes me 15, 12 minutes to get back to the office to work on the motion. The judge is probably sitting there going, you have a fleet of lawyers at the table, figure it out. But the jury's back in the courtroom waiting before the attorney walks in, which is not a good look for the attorney that the judge created. The defense then says this was clearly done in an effort to embarrass the defense in front of the jury and make the jury believe that counsel was responsible for the delay. Lead counsel entered the courtroom at 2.59 p.m., 17 minutes after being dismissed. And the court told them they would have, what, 15 minutes to write their motion? That's, I wonder if that's the underlying timing issue. They go on to say, upon further reflection, in light of this court's admission of its longstanding animosity for defense counsel, on September 14th, 2022, the defense has recalled numerous instances of blatant hostility and bias against the defense, which include, one, a threat to reprimand defense counsel in front of the jury after a heated sidebar discussion. Two, regularly admonishing defense counsel when more than one attorney attempts to participate in an argument while allowing several members of the prosecution team to do so. Reprimanding defense counsel for speaking, even at a low volume, while in recess but in the courtroom, while ignoring the prosecution team's identical conduct. Four, refusal to allow the defense to address issues when the jury is waiting to come into the courtroom while allowing the state to raise issues and uh, any issues it chooses at any time. And then they go on to say each of these statements individually and all these statements taken in action together would have caused Mr. Cruz to have a reasonable belief that the court is biased against him and his counsel and will not receive a fair trial. They get into arguments stating the law that they believe calls for the judge to be recused. We are going to go to the defense's own uh, statement because the defendant signed a declaration in this case, and that's what we're going to look at next uh, before we wrap up this topic. 
Oh, I overrule myself. We're going to look at the defense's uh, conclusion first, and then we're going to go to the affidavit. In conclusion, they argue a denial of Mr. Cruz's request in this matter would violate his rights to due process guaranteed under the 5th and 14th Amendment and Article 1, Section 9 of the Florida Constitution, a fair trial in the appropriate venue, Boward County, Florida, guaranteed by the 6th and 14th Amendments of the United States Constitution and Article 1, Section 16 and 22 of the Florida Constitution, privacy guaranteed by the 4th, 9th, and 14th Amendments of the United States and Article 1, Section 23 of the Florida Constitution equal protection or basic rights guaranteed by the 14th Amendment of the United States Constitution, Article 1, Section 2 of the Florida Constitution, and to be free from cruel and unusual punishment or excessive punishment as guaranteed by the 8th and 14th Amendments. Wherefore, based on the foregoing, the defendant requests the court grant the motion for disqualification of judge so another circuit judge may be randomly assigned to preside over the case. That would necessarily, I think, necessitate a mistrial as well. This is the affidavit of the defendant. It says, I, the undersigned Nicholas Cruz, under penalty of perjury, deposes and states on September 16th as follows. I am the defendant in this case and have pled to 17 counts of premeditated first-degree murder and 17 counts of premeditated murder. One of those should be attempted murder. So there's an error there. Um, yeah, premeditated first-degree murder and 17 counts of premeditated murder. One of those should be attempted I was present for trial on September 14th and have been throughout the trial. I observed the following and have discussed it with my lawyers. On September 14th, after my lawyer, Melissa McNeil, told the court that we would be arresting our case, the court said, and then they go on to quote the judge again, which we've now quoted like three times. It says, the court statements cause me to reasonably fear that the court is biased against my attorneys and me, and I will not receive a fair trial. The court also revealed that her feelings towards Ms. McNeil extended throughout the trial by saying, quote, you have been insulting me the entire trial so blatantly, taking your headphones off, and then it goes into the rest of that quote. It says the court statement causes me to reasonably believe that it has disliked my attorneys throughout the trial and is biased against me and my lawyers, and I will not receive a fair trial. It goes on to say the court has repeatedly insulted my lawyers throughout the trial and has caused me to believe it is biased against me and my lawyers, and I will not receive a fair trial. The court made the following statements about my lawyers, further causing me to believe that it is prejudiced against me and my lawyers, and I will not receive a fair trial. And that goes into the quotes that were quoted up in the motion that we already talked about. It goes date by date in this as well, because he's a percipient witness to it. He's present in the courtroom. It says that there have been continuous disparaging comments and actions from the court, including but not limited to admonishing my lawyers when more than one lawyer attempts to participate in an argument. And that goes into the same thing we're seeing argued up above. It said, I have also observed the court's negative and disparaging nonverbal actions throughout the trial, including rolling her eyes when my lawyers are speaking or wish to speak, turning her head in a dismissive manner when my lawyers are speaking or trying to speak. These nonverbal actions cause me to reasonably fear that the court is biased against my attorneys and me, and I will not receive a fair trial. Because of the animosity the court has and has had towards my lawyers throughout the entire trial, I believe I will not get a fair trial. This uh, court is making its rulings based on negative feelings and obvious disdain towards my lawyers, especially Ms. McNeil. Also, the fact that Judge Schur used to work for the state's attorney's office and has continued to have relationships with people from that office makes me think that she is biased in their favor against me. That is not a timely issue to raise. That is an issue you raise way at the beginning. Hey, this judge is a former state's attorney. That is an issue you raise when the judge gets assigned. So that's too late of an argument, but I understand they're throwing they're throwing all of it in. He then says, I am prejudiced by the judge's actions and words directed towards my lawyers. I also feel that the court has lost its neutrality and has bias towards my lawyers. 
In the event that the jury reaches a verdict of death, I believe that the court will not fairly consider a judicial override and I will suffer actual prejudice because of her lack of neutrality. And that will go up on appeal if that is the case. I do not believe that the judge will perform her duties impartially and diligently. That's the heart of the matter, truly. I'm seriously concerned about Judge Schur's impartiality and ability to be neutral in the proceeding where my life is literally at stake. I have a well-grounded fear and I will not receive a fair trial at the hands of this judge. And then it is signed by Nicholas Cruz, the defendant in this case. So that is the defense's fairly thorough motion um, asking for a new trial based on the court's actions. I understand their concern when it comes to what was said in front of the jury, but I don't think it will prejudice them in such a way that the jury's going to be like, ah, we had to wait more days and and not be here. And now that's going to make our decision. Juries take the weight of their job very seriously and, and no more seriously, I could imagine, than in a case where it is literally a matter of so many that lost their lives and then deciding if the defendant will also lose their life. That is a tremendously weighty decision for any jury to make, to say that they're going to be somehow prejudiced because of a quick statement about timing is, is difficult. I think 100% the defense is doing their job in bringing this motion. I think they had to. And I don't think the judge will grant it. We will see what the judge does. Will this absolutely go up on this on appeal on these same grounds? Yes. If the jury comes back with life without parole, will the defense maybe let it go? Yes, because those are the only options. He is going to be sentenced to either life without parole or to the death penalty, and those are the only two options. So the really only reason the defense would bother appealing is if he was sentenced to death, which is a possibility in this case, given how many were killed, given the nature of the killings, given the nature of the evidence that this jury has heard, that is a very real possibility in this case. And then it will be on appeal for years and years and years to come. So we will see what the judge does. Um, if there is a ruling, if it's taken under submission, then this will be the end of this week's podcast. If there is a ruling, then I will be clipped in here talking about it. Emily from the future, the judge did in fact rule on this motion and without any surprises, chose not to remove herself from the case. No mistrial declared. The case continues to move forward. And as I said, the defense is holding this issue for appeal. They have to object at the time to preserve it, to argue down the road. So we might see this argued on appeal if there is an appeal in this case. All right, let's get back to saying goodbye. And with that, I want to know your thoughts on this. Um, I will put the relative relevant YouTube links if you want to go watch for yourself and see. And we will see how the judge rules on this motion. I imagine the judge will make a record saying I am not biased. I have been frustrated with the way this trial has, has been handled. I have been frustrated with the way the attorneys have acted. And I imagine the judge will voice their frustration and no more. I don't think the judge will recuse themselves. I don't think the judge will grant a new trial. But we will see. We will see. But this is really the inner workings of what go on in, in a trial like this where the defense is literally fighting for their clients. So with that, we will see what this judge decides about whether they are biased. Who, who better to know the judge's own mind than the judge themselves? All right. With that, it is time to say goodbye. Goodbye, goodbye. Thank you for being, I, I should have just rolled the outro. <laughs>
Should have just, should have just lightened the mood. Goodbye, goodbye. Whoosh. No. It's a heavy one. This, this trial is hard. It's a heavy one. But when we look at the law, when we look at the facts, when we look at what's going on inside a courtroom and have a conversation, where are the boundaries between frustration in, in presiding over a courtroom and crossing the line? And that's really the question here. So with that, thank you for being here. Thank you for being a law nerd. Let me know your thoughts down below. Thank you for keeping it classy. We are law nerds. Difficult case to talk about, but we do need to talk about the legal wrangling with the lawyers and the judge. And I think we can do that without disparagement, without name calling, without ad hominem attacks. And really just in this case, at the in this motion, talk about the facts and the law and what we're seeing. And for that, I appreciate this community so much. So with that, may your Wi-Fi be strong. May your toilet paper be plentiful. May your family be well. And may the odds, may your connecting flights be on time. That's just, that's just for me. And may the odds be ever in your favor. I will talk to you in the next one. Bye.